0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to AMT's Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing, technology, research, and news. I am the Director of Technology, Benjamin Moses, and today's episode is sponsored by AM Radio. And I'm here with...
1: Steven Lamarca, technology
0: analyst. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah?
1: Dude, buttery, smooth intro.
0: That was amazing. <laughs> I've been working on it for the past two years. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> oh, man. That's impressive. So... uh before we get into some articles, we've been doing some stuff on our own. I know you've been doing some self uh analysis. So well, not
1: self analysis, <laughs> but like so you know, I I'm I'm a big uh fan of maintenance. I love I love me some good maintenance. Um but seeing as I don't have a uh, machine tool um well, to you maintain. Have one. Well, I mean I have one, but it's like bulletproof and it does, <laughs> nothing ever goes wrong and frankly it's brand new. It hasn't That's true. You know, hasn't hasn't seen and made enough chips yet. But what has made enough chips well, in a certain way, <laughs> not a good way, um, my vehicles. <laughs> right. Uh, I recently, well, actually a while ago now, um, I did something really fun and had the suspension on my motorcycle adjusted for me and my weight. Nice. It's a Japanese motorcycle. Sure. Probably designed for, well, the, do- the designers and team of engineers that made it. Right. And conceived it. Probably didn't have somebody as big and as heavy as me in mind when you know they set up the
0: suspension, so kind of like air, airplane seats, exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, for any American for that matter. Um, but fortunately, a lot of you know, night not necessarily premium, but nicer, you know, big, bigger engine motorcycles typically have fully suspend fully adjustable suspensions. Mine sure. is figured you know i've got 2500 uh, miles on it now It's probably a good idea to uh, have it adjusted to my weight yep. and size and whatnot uh, i've adjusted other things for my size right. and fit um but let's let's do the suspension and the suspension to be fair is already great nice but when you pay for a fully adjustable suspension why not have it fully adjusted yeah. to you uh and i did and Crazy enough, so I, I take it to this shop. The guy's been doing it for thirty years; he knows what he's doing. Um, and he's like, "We well, yeah, we need to increase the uh, rear suspension to." I think he said something like, "You know, 0.95 newton meters per kilogram." Oh, the spring rate. Like- so he's actually adjusting yeah, sure. spring rate for sure. that, um, and adjust the preload. Okay, uh, adjust the bound and rebound, or compression and rebound. Sure. Of the actual shock absorber, the dampers, right, um, and did the front fork as well. Because okay. you know, if you do the rear, you have to do the front. Um, and what's crazy is, you know, he's 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 measuring everything. He's having he's measuring it with the bike by itself, measuring it with me on the bike, right, um, and making these adjustments. And he's stiffening everything up. Right. He's making it right. stiffer, right? And I'm like, oh, geez, he's like really cranking this thing up. And yep. it's already like you know. A pretty stiff suspension when i ride it around well it's certainly stiffer than other motorcycles i've ridden right and i haven't exactly ridden like a track bike before but um and this is a sportier bike but he's he's you know turning up the stiffness and and like you know the the ratios on everything right and i'm just like dude this ride is gonna be it's going to be like driving – it's going to be like riding through Baghdad, you know, hitting, hitting <laughs> bumps everything. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, all right, take it for a spin around the block or two. Sure. And I take it out, and it is like on a cloud. Really? I'm like, how How did this happen? <laughs> and I come back, and oh, I, I you know, reach for the brakes sure. to come to a complete stop at a stop sign, and – the brakes are more grabby. Wow! And I'm like this makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. We adjusted the suspension. We made it stiffer. Why does it feel softer? Yep. And how does adjusting the suspension make the brakes feel better? Right. And he explained all the physics to me, yeah. and it made sense. It's you know, He's just like, just like, well, by stiffening the suspension for your weight, which is heavier than you know, what they anticipated. Right. Um. Sure. It doesn't. Tr- that now the suspension doesn't travel as fast, doesn't travel as far, and it is firmer. But now, when you hit like you know larger bumps, it doesn't bottom out. Right. So the suspension can now fully can work fully and fully absorb bumps when you hit them, as opposed to absorbing some little bumps right. at slow speeds. Yeah. You know, it can now fully absorb large bumps at slow speeds and little bumps at high speeds nice. and you won't feel it that's cool um, well you can feel it sure, but like sure. you won't feel it in a negative way and because the front is uh tightened up now the fork doesn't dive the front doesn't dive as much uh under braking so the brakes feel stronger for right. that reason it's, that's it's cool. you know it's simple newtonian mechanics
0: yeah, i actually do enjoy vehicle dynamics i studied a little bit of dy- uh dynamics in school and understanding Uh, suspension uh settings it's it's a very interesting uh, course so and and also reminds me of my first car that i bought uh 2001 volkswagen golf um and after of course the warranty died down i said let's start modifying this thing i did uh, something very similar i looked at suspension first uh, and then i modified i went to like a cup series where it's a set of uh, stiffer shocks and springs and lowering kit a little bit and i kept the same size tires and, of course, when you lower the car with, like, little 15-inch uh, little guy tires, uh, every time I went over a speed bump, I definitely scraped the oil pan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, every time I'm changing the oil, yeah. I'm trying to get that plug out. I'm like, oh, there's more scratches on there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's
1: brutal. That's really scary. It's not some fun. Some people like, – like so, I'm part of – sadly, I still, like – you know, I'm still a user of uh, Facebook. Sure. And um, I'm on some groups in there, and one of the groups I'm with is for – other people that own the same a similar car to me, right. either BRZ or FRS or eighty six, what have you? Uh, they're all the same. They're all made by Subaru and paid for by Toyota. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, a lot of people like to lower those because yeah. they're all yeah. kids,
0: right? That, you know. And it's funny. It's a cascade series of events because uh, at at some point the aluminum oil pan was just getting so beat up that uh, I guess either I someone after they went to a steel pan, which is actually shorter. So gotcha. I, I, I had to have the Did oil it pan like the baffles
1: in it. So you could corner better.
0: No, no, no. Okay. It's, it's a golf. It wasn't fancy. No, no, no. But, yeah, no. but
1: those are sporty cars.
0: Not 2001. Okay. It's not, enough. it's not the GTI. It was just a four door. Oh, golf.
1: Oh, gotcha. It had
0: the cool engine and it. it had the 1.8 turbo, but not the, uh, it was four door. Gotcha. And then I put a racing seat in there. I almost <gasps> forget that, but it was so much fun. Yeah. It, it, we, we took a couple of long road trips, like driving to the tail of the dragon, which is like eight hours and eight hour in a racing seat. Non-adjustable racing seat too. Luckily, I did that in my youth. <laughs> I yeah. would not do that now. <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, as as cool as racing seats are, like, don't get me wrong, I think they are awesome. I'm yes. kind of glad I haven't gone to one.
0: And I did have a harness. I had a seat belt, the three point, the standard seat belt, mm-hmm. and a racing harness in there. Yeah. So once I got on the tail, I did wear the harness. And being pinned into your seat, not moving around, it's an amazing experience.
1: You know, there's there's a cheat to do that. It's not exactly the same thing. Well, What's it's far that? from the same thing, but. Like like I tell Melissa whenever we go on a mountain road that's really windy and, and we're definitely gonna take it harder, like pull your seatbelt all the way out. Right. Pull it all the way out and then let it go in. Sure. And that's a thing that's like a feature of like that all seat belts of any car have that not a lot of people think about and okay. even know what it's for. Yeah. But it is I I I don't know if it's for like securing luggage.
0: Oh, Um, I know what you mean. Yeah,
1: but but it actually works best when you're doing some spirited driving because it doesn't let you, especially in long uh, high G corners that don't like gradually get to a high G. Right. You know, it doesn't allow you to swing out of the way. It doesn't pull you out of the way because when you pull the seatbelt all the way out and then let it go back in, it's locked. Right. So it doesn't come out anymore until you unbuckle the Uh, seatbelt. That's cool. Um, That's a good hack. It's a really cool hack. Yeah. Not a lot of people know about it, but it is great. I I don't think a lot of people understand how important a good seat is for keeping you in place. Like you don't just get a racing seat because it looks cool or it's lightweight. Right. It's like they are designed to hold you in place. Yep. Everybody that even when I got in my car, when it first came, when the car first came out, and i sat down in it it was like wow this makes me feel really insecure like i can feel <laughs> love handles going all the way up and down my body right and the reason is because it's it's cradling you to hold you in place yep. while you go around corners really
0: hard um steve let's pivot to the word of the year
1: word of the year goblin yeah. mode <laughs>
0: Speaking of racing, I thought Goblin Mode would be a good fit in <laughs> That's
1: Oxford. The Oxford <laughs> Dictionary sure. officially announced, like like a couple days ago, um, that the 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 twenty twenty two year of the word year year of the word <laughs> word of the year is Goblin Mode. Have you ever used that in a sentence? No, but I've heard the youth use it. It's like oh, I okay. assume it's like lit or it's kind of mid. <laughs> Something, for real, for real.
0: Something twenty years people twenty years younger than me would say. Yeah, keep it a stack on God. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's going to look great in the transcript, <laughs> by the way.
1: I feel bad for the transcriber,
0: <laughs> Steve. You want to tell us about our sponsor for today? Our sponsor for
1: today. AM Radio is the new podcast from Additive Manufacturing Media. Join editors Pete Zielinski, Stephanie Hendrickson, and Julia Heider as they share stories of companies succeeding with 3D printing today, talk about emerging trends, and discuss the future opportunities and potential for AM in the context of the larger manufacturing landscape. New episodes are published every other week. Subscribe now on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune into Additive.
0: Thanks, Steve. You bet. I got a couple articles here, and the first one I want to get to is from uh, Science Daily, and it's actually I think it's uh, published from one of their Nature Communication journals. It's kind of it's a weird tangent, but what they derive from here is researchers use ultrasound wave to move objects hands-free, which is interesting. Hands-free is use
1: ultrasonic sound waves to yes. move objects. So, okay, this brings two things to mind. Sure. Number one, acoustics. Yes. And, uh, well, number one is two companies, Acoustics in our industry, the people that did like the machine tool spindle yep. that vibrates at an ultrasonic frequency to, for cooling or I don't know. So, some reason it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. um, same guy that made that patent for Acoustics. I've mentioned this before. Uh, you, the same patent actually is now used by Fabrisonic uh-huh. to use ultrasonic waves to weld sheets of metal together. It's a type
0: of additive manufacturing now. Yep. Yep. That's really cool. That's really cool. So and also, it,
1: ultrasonic.
0: Does that mean like super high frequencies? Super high frequencies. We can get into like the frequency range that they're looking at, but it's... I want to hear about it. We can, uh, but it gets into like uh, the energy behind that. And yeah. Yeah, the article covers a lot of different things. You know, it's from, the research was done from Minnesota Twin Cities City. City. Tw- Twin City <laughs> researchers discovered a new method to move objects using ultrasound. Uh, and what they're interested in is uh, contact la- contactless. Uh, yeah. Um, manipulation and they're really looking for uh, applications like optics mm-hmm. and uh, electromagnetic uh, application like drives and things like that so it's a you know smaller market segment I think but it's a very impl- interesting applications because what they're doing and I need to get into a little bit more but because it, it's fairly fascinating and to be honest the article also gets into they've known that they can use light and sound to move objects that's yeah. been around for a while they, I think they've done it on like the particle level using light to move stuff right yeah gotcha. But now they're trying to expand that concept up into large objects. So that's why they're looking at uh, Just buy an awful sound system.
1: <laughs> exactly. Gen- that's too much sub bass. Now that's right. subsonic, to be yep. fair.
0: And they're looking at, so it's a combination of the source, of so the ultrasound itself, but also they're looking at possibly coupling the what they want to move with metamaterials too. Yeah. So they're using metamaterials okay. on the outside to <gasps> help move stuff. Using ultrasound as an energy source to actuate the metamaterials for manipulation of the objects.
1: Or, or like, you know, like a, a non Newtonian material. Yeah. yeah. Can, you can activate it or deactivate it right. with ultrasonic sound waves, stuff that we won't hear. So it's not like right. it will bother you. That's yep.
0: really cool. Yep. So it's very interesting. Look at uh, being able to transfer, you know, the sound, this. Ob- moving this object around and they're really looking at very precise movement too. So it's not like they can move it across the room cause that energy level would be outrageously high and probably kill someone getting in that way. Sure. But you know, realistically they're, they're looking at very small and very accurate manipulation of these uh, objects. So it's, mm. you know, you could have, and, and I've seen that uh, quite a bit. So a couple of years ago, I looked at uh, Disney actually doing animatronics research on coupling uh, pneumatics and electromagnetic uh, drives for yeah. um, animatronics. And that cascades into robotics. The reason they're looking at that is the speed and efficiency of coupling both those twos to mimic human motion. Because if you had just electromagnetic drive, it's going to be a little slower, but pneumatic drives are a little faster in some scenarios. Yeah. So they couple those two. Uh, So I think this is another uh, progression in robotics where we're seeing uh, energy sources being, uh, you know, added to robotics or changing how robotics manipulate objects quite a bit. Now, the the scenario into manufacturing, obviously going to have some limitations, but being able to manipulate objects uh, with different end of arm tooling is also, uh, you know, uh, a big shift in the market too. Wow, so, that was a very interesting that article. That is
1: really cool. Do you happen to have? You said you had the frequency measurements in front of you. Do you mm. know
0: what? No, I don't. Ultra, I don't. Okay,
1: because I know, um, you know, like like when you hear a really awful sound system and that has way too much sub bass. That sub bass frequencies are coming from the sub woofer speaker, right? And sub woofers typically operate in the five hertz five to ten hertz range. Um uh, sure. So that's the that's subsonic. Right. In some for a lot of people, a lot of people can hear below 10 hertz. Yeah. And yeah. but he, I, it's almost unanimously agreed upon that nobody can hear below five hertz. Right. But going below five hertz is when you get really annoying you know, windows rattling right. and and right. stuff in your house or apartment. If you're one of those people uh, <laughs> that likes to annoy your neighbors, um, that's when you make really annoying rattling around your house. That's your sub bass range, right? Um, Ten hertz and below. Um, you know, the really highs. Well, first off, speakers. I just want to bring up this really fun, sure. cute thing real quick. So a, for good balanced sound, you want two types of speakers sure. on, on each channel. Um, you know, for for your mid to lows or mids to bass, you want a woofer. Sure. And for your mids to highs, you want a tweeter. Sure. If you want even more lows, you get a subwoofer. Right. Um, and if you want even more highs and like like really sharp um and and, and, and piercing or airy sparkly and bright highs you will get a super tweeter okay. speaker but what gets like right in the middle of the perfect mids do you know what that speaker's called no a squawker
0: squaw- let's <laughs> go i just learned that the other day that's interesting i never heard of that and i've I've researched speakers for quite a while so thanks steve you bet i learned goblin mode and squawker <laughs> uh then next- you the word the next article I have is controversial. So, this is from uh, Electro Magazine. It's actually, they published a white paper. So, you have to input your info to get the full white paper. And I thought it's a good look. And the stance I'm taking from this is it's similar to the stance we've been taking in general. Um, 5G is cool, 5G cellular communication is cool. But realistically, in manufacturing, if you want faster speeds and you want to be able to keep up with uh, um, technology as it's progressing, look at Wi Fi 6. Mm. So I
1: didn't even know that existed.
0: Wi-Fi is your wireless communication. The word itself, Wi-Fi, doesn't mean anything. That's an actual fact. It's just a name that they wanted to call the standard. So Wi-Fi, they've gone through several progressions, you know, four when it looks at 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. And then they went to Wi-Fi 5, which is mainly 5 gigahertz. And now they've gone to Wi-Fi 6, and it's still 2.4 and 5, but what they've done is they're increasing the the speed and the bandwidth uh, within the different um, uh, standards. Right
1: voice crap what a nerd
0: and the reason i bring this up is you know we've gone through our own um, migration here so we update our uh, network infrastructure here a little while ago and you know i was taking a step back to look at how oh, yeah. how do companies keep up with technology especially infrastructure technology yeah. right so cellular communication is not easy to keep up with especially i mean you know, you should talk oh about God, scale yeah. right it's, it's crazy even like trying to keep up with your phone right yeah it's one, I I keep my phones longer than I should, but right. it depends Same. on your strategy. So for me, I go till it's actually end of life. Like the company says that we're not supporting the OS anymore. So mm-hmm. that's probably like the seven-year range, five to seven-year range. But realistically, by the time new things are being published, so if you, even if you don't buy the latest and greatest, realistically, you're looking at maybe two to three-year cycle on yes. that type that's of device. A, that's
1: the ideal range. Right.
0: And if you look at that too you in your laptops on the front, um, you know, just in your own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, our warranty period is roughly two to three years. So after warranty, then you're taking risk Yeah, of, we, get, we get a right, new laptop we, every three years. Yeah, we've been shifting to a two to three year time frame for laptops, right? So even leases for laptops are roughly that time frame, maybe four years at the most. The, IT inf- the uh, data infrastructure is going to be along the same lines, right? We're seeing a, a progression of faster throughput on networks. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, uh, 2.5 uh, gig... Speeds on uh, network structures: five gigs, and now ten gigs is coming fairly commercially available, um, and that's over you know standard Cat cable. Obviously, it's a, mm-hmm. you know Cat six. My friend uh, Scott had Cat six e. I have to see what standard. But I think he had a friend who's moving back to Korea, and for some reason, had Cat eight cable. Wow! Did you know about Cat eight? I did not. That's cool. I don't know what speeds that are. He must be doing something kind of interesting. But back to the point of technology progression, right? So. If you are using wireless communication on your floor for, you know, uh, you know wireless to like AMRs, right? You're, you've got a ton of uh, traffic like that where you do have true wireless devices or even um, communicating through tablets or other communication devices on the floor. It still makes sense to try and keep up with more Wi-Fi 6 because I feel like yeah. the Wi-Fi standards, changing your wireless uh, access points sure. is going to be easier than changing your cellular communications if you're using that on the floor. Makes
1: sense. Makes sense. And when we upgraded our network here in the office, I was like, you know, why are, why are we doing this? Our our network is our internet's always been awesome here. Right. Um, and and Sean even asked that our IT guy uh, asked that to the technician who was installing the new um uh access ports yep um access terminals whatever the new routers right. um and the net the, the network hardware and the guy was just answered him and he was like, well. You wouldn't keep your phone more than two years, would you? <laughs> Why would you expect your network hardware to, yeah. to perform for more than two years? You know, yeah. Especially with the evolution of these standards. Mm-hmm. I knew about 5G and I remember it's funny how the tables have turned with 5G because <laughs> like 5G comes out and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, this isn't for cellular service. This is right. this is from this is for the industry. This isn't for consumers. This yeah. is for the the industry. Like, go away. Like you don't you LTE's enough for you. Five G's right. for the industry. And now no, five G is for uh for a, is for commercial. cellular service. <laughs> like like you start using five G. Wi Fi six is for the industry. And I didn't know that. Like I've always wondered, like, what does Wi Fi mean? Because you know, you hear Hi Fi. That means yeah. high fidelity. Right. What is why Wi Fi's wireless fidelity? No,
0: it doesn't mean anything. It's just a word. That's, that's whack. Just a name. I'm like Benjamin. Whack fidelity. Doesn't mean anything. and so uh, moving on to the next article Steve you know we've been talking about data Um, you got something on digital waste and Microsoft
1: yeah so speaking of all of this data we need all these you know advanced networks because companies are making more data whether it's for manufacturing or it's for advertising you know (laughs) there's more data flying around being flung around the world and we need physical hardware more than hardware but actual like infrastructure buildings yep. uh to
0: support this this slinging of data around oh and real quick for the audience look up the highest concentration data centers in the US and it's like right down the street from where we're currently recording yeah <laughs> so
1: <laughs> and it's really tough for people like me who you know would really love to stop paying rent and start like paying a mortgage and owning lands yeah. to 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 live and i have to instead of competing with other people uh you know my age or or younger um I have to compete with data centers who have a lot more <laughs> money than me by the way. Maybe. Cuz data is doing great. <laughs> and data it, it, is doing great right now.
0: And it's really hard to understand the scale until you actually drive past one. When it takes you like there's a couple of highways I'll cut between my uh, where I live to further north and you pass all the I pass all the data centers. Right. You're doing like 40, 50 miles an hour on this road, probably a little faster according to the speed limit. But it takes you several minutes to pass to actually pass the length of the building. I mean, these yeah. aren't, these aren't small buildings. So when you talk about and land usage, really creepy, cause there's no windows on them. No windows, like two cars parked in front and a full security system. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty entertaining. It's I, at least for me, it's ominous. Cause I bought a house already. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um,
1: but like I, I saw, we've seen a few articles come up recently and I'll right. have to, I'll have to queue up the other one for the show notes. I have to find it. Um, but you know, there's there's a uh, concern with all of the smog generated from big data. Right. Um, and I saw an article like a couple of weeks ago about the infinite cloud. Sure. Isn't a thing. Right. Like. It is finite, number one, but what is infinite is the amount of smog these data centers are producing <laughs> right. to bring you as much content as possible, whether it's advertising <laughs> or something you actually want, <laughs> Right, um, which is wild to me. And you brought up, which had me bring in this article, that Microsoft is doing something special with their data centers, yep. and not just special for like data and the environment, mm-hmm. but also – for me and ben you know what what what's what's the most awesome thing about the ocean what's great about the ocean you can pee in it it's the perfect place for e-waste and d-waste <laughs> microsoft put, is putting has experimented with putting data centers in the ocean
0: yeah that's cool
1: they're you know, they're only unsightly to scuba divers, and <laughs> nerds, like yeah, good luck with the Benz loser. Um, and um, they're only unsightly to the scuba divers. And it's the perfect environment because you have a constant circulation of cooling.
0: That's true. Yeah. Uh, and that's just really great to me because they're trying to keep land free land for, free and harvest, you know, natural uh, cooling energy as opposed to trying to uh, use coal or whatever yeah. uh, the U S uh, energy sources are in the U S uh, to cool. these. So that's the, probably the biggest thing, right? It's cooling of uh, the electronics. And sure. I, I, th- I thought that was a very good test to, uh, and it's interesting. The article that you see is them actually lifting the server back out into yeah. <laughs> the space and you can see all everything on the outside, just growing on it. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I, all the barnacles, all the
0: bar- <laughs> <laughs> I love me some barnacles. <laughs> so it, I thought it was a very fun experiment and very useful test on how do we re- repurpose the land we're living in. Yeah.
1: In, in- I also really like that they came up with that term de-waste. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm only kidding about like the ocean stuff. Like there's a huge problem. Like I, it's, it's crazy that we have like a land mass, the size of Texas swirling around in our oceans. Yep. Um, that is essentially nothing but e-waste and our plastic garbage. Um, and, you know, throwing it in the ocean is not the solution. Throwing it in space on the other hand. Like get it out there, and we can do the same thing with data eventually. <laughs> Launch it what, do the think, sun? what do you think quantum entanglement is going to be implemented <laughs> for? Putting all of our data in space.
0: Now, so the the lesson learned that I have here is uh, the big takeaway here is that for me, like if Microsoft's willing to experiment this, you know what can we do as you know within our own office building to positive and inf- inf- work in the environment that we live in, right? So it's not just I work in a we work in a nine story building, you know how can we positively influence the environment around us and not destroy it. So mm-hmm. I've, and a lot of manufacturers are going to like solar panels for, um, energy usage. And, you know, that strategy makes a lot of sense, but also they're still consuming a lot of water. They're still consuming a lot of cooling. They're still consuming a lot of, um, energy around the facility. So, you know, energy usage has been uh, a bit, the biggest shift, you know, can we get to solar? Can we get to turbine power? Um, but also, if we start taking a look at the different layers within the organization, what other ways can we harness the natural environment for uh, energy con- reduction? So that was, a big, that was a cool takeaway. I appreciate that, Microsoft. And yeah, Steve. good
1: job, Microsoft.
0: The article I want to transition to is called Walk This Way, <laughs> which I enjoy a good title pun. Yes. This is published from Syracuse uh, University, syracuse.edu, so it's official. Uh, and. Uh, the New York City Fire Department uh, made headlines of hiring two prized recruits. Uh, they didn't hire firefighters. Well, I guess technically they did, but they purchased firefighters by uh, buying <gasps> two. So quad- wrong. <laughs> buying two quadruped uh, AMRs, oh. robotic robot dogs. Robot dogs. Uh, so it's a shift in. Uh, we've talk, been talking about um, you know Spot and different use cases from yeah. Boston Dynamics. I don't think I think they were uh, using a different uh, company for this. But it's a very interesting use case where they're still exploring uh, AMRs to re- uh, put those in places of uh, danger where humans can avoid. So they're talking about, you know, crawling into uh, collapsed buildings to help identify and retrieve victims um, or injured people and, you know, detect radiological and nuclear uh, materials and toxic gas. So basically putting all kinds of sensors to say, hey, canary, <laughs> is there something dangerous in this tunnel? So I thought that was a very interesting <laughs> straightforward um uh, article and you know the the reason i like the article is because it does talk about the development of new technology so they do talk about um the development of this at the university and yeah. how you know the trials and tribulations that kind of walk through and you know the development cycle of you know our earlier discussion of car dynamics you know the first thing is what are the dynamics of this amr of this object right how does it move around how right. does it articulates legs and when it is moving what is the uh kin- 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 mm, motion dynamics of the object And you know we talked about uh, high side versus low side right as it moves yeah. around right mm-hmm. so there the uh, the motion dynamics and how we how the robot learns about itself and you know incorporating a lot of machine learning applications so there's positive reinforcement on you know improving its efficiency that and then getting to a practical application so you know I, this guy developed this cool thing Now, how am I going to use it in the world, right? So, and I thought the article does a pretty good job of kind of uh, putting all that together and, you know, kicking it off with a uh, very interesting use case because I do like this the ability of, um, you know, identifying places where humans are at danger and saying, "Oh, we don't need a human there; just put something else." Right. Send a robot dog. This
1: is a perfect segue. Oh yeah. By the way, Um, so it's awesome that the firefighters are the fire departments are doing this. Um and it's a, and it's good that they're doing this first because, you know, nobody ever has a problem with the firefighters. Sure. You know Nobody's going to look at a firefighter and be like, "Oh, you baby killer." You know, <laughs> no. They're saving babies and kitties out of trees and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. you know. It's it's great. Maybe the dog maybe the robot dogs will be scaring the kittens into trees, <laughs> but um one thing that has popped into the news recently San Francisco natives and locals Mm -hmm. are absolutely losing their minds, as they always do, um, about the San Francisco Police Department has announced that they are going to authorize um, police robots Mm -hmm. with under certain circumstances where there's no other option that can be used. The power of the the use of deadly force.
0: That's interesting because I consider California very human centric. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the exact opposite to some degree. Well,
1: you would think that, but to be fair, they're not the first ones to do it. Like there's a huge in our industry, especially with the robot people, uh, including Boston dynamics and other people we know that we won't name, um, that are super anti weaponizing automation. Sure. And it is the dumbest and most immature take on it ever. Allow me to get on my soapbox. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing. Let's let, let's let's go back to the main topic, the San Francisco Police Department. First off, calm down, California. Trust me. Texas did it first. <laughs> of course. Back <laughs> in 2016, like a solid six years ago, um, an active shooter in, I think, Dallas. It doesn't matter. All Texas is the same. Um, that's not true at all. Um, but like an active shooter somewhere in Texas near a university. um, opens up on a opens fire on a crowd of crowds of protesters and police officers trying to maintain uh the protest sure um and this guy did not have any discretion he right. was like he's right. like doesn't matter which side of the argument you're on you're right. getting shot at and this dude unloaded um uh several hundred rounds of ammunition by the time SWAT arrived, this guy retreated into a building that was under construction. I think it was a dorm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, 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 nobody was safe because bullets right. are going through that thin, awful sheet rock of the dorm. Yep. Um, and this guy retreated into this building that's under construction down a long hallway with absolutely no cover down it. This I'm no tactician, right. but this is called the fatal funnel, sure. meaning the, the SWAT officers – to arrest this guy would have no other choice other than to throw themselves in harm's way to get advanced down this hall and be shot at. This would genuinely like like without question, this would generate loss of more loss of life. Right. Um. So they obviously nobody wants to do that. And they've got this guy cornered. You know they've got to stop this before the guy figures something else out to do to cause mayhem. So they can't just wait it out and wait for the guy to run out of food and like you know die of hunger or something. They've got to go get him now. Um, So what do they do? They get the EOD, uh, the 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 bomb department, the bomb division of their SWAT, uh, and they have a robot. Sure. And they do the opposite of what an EOD robot does. Instead of diffusing a bomb, they put a bomb on the robot right. and send the robot down the hall. You can't shoot a robot to death, sure. So the robot just advances down the hall, gets uh, to up close to the uh, the the, sh- the active shooter who's on the other side of a wall, and they detonate the bomb, and it neutralizes the threat. Sure, you know, happy ending. This guy's taken care of, right. and now they can do cleanup. It would not necessarily happy. end. it's still it's, awful. It's, it's no matter ending, what. Right. But there's less awfulness right. with the way that this ended. Right. Um, and it's just like, like, get over yourself in, <laughs> in some ways, you know, arming, like arming a robot means that there's going to be there's going to be less loss of life. And this whole like childish mentality of like, we shouldn't weaponize automation. One of my favorite arguments, counter arguments to this is what do you think a heat-seeking missile is? What do you think an AIM-9X is? That's a suicide drone <laughs> with a rocket
0: pack. That's true, right? Like a
1: heat-seeking missile, it's you, you. The the pilot of like a fighter jet locks onto another fighter jet, or you know, if it's an AGM, an right. air-ground to munition. You know, there's soldiers on the ground. They target like a tank. That tank is moving and rolling around, causing mayhem to the soldiers. Yep. And the the air support. Gets a lock from the ground troops, and they fire an AGM. And before anti-air can shoot down that plane, they get out of there because it's fire and forget. Right. That 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 missile was pro is an automated munition yep. that was programmed by somebody to destroy something. It's it's all it is is just a drone that has a job to get from point A to point B, and it's just. Carrying an explosive charge or in some case of like you know, the brimstone doesn't have an explosive charge at all because right. it's that accurate it's kinetic. Um, it's just kinetic and it has a rocket booster. Yep. You know, it's a really fast suicide <laughs> drone and that that is weaponized automation. And let's think about automation in the beginning. If you go back to the American Precision Museum, one of sure. my favorite places to visit in the American manufacturing industry, it shows that the is not the assembly line, but. Automated manufacturing mass production began with the U.S. government making a request to speed up the production of small arms like muskets and rifles Um, and not only do that, but muskets and rifles at the time were all were made of all hand fit parts. Sure. You and I both know that's awful. That's an awful firearm. That's an awful platform to have everything hand fit. You know, if something breaks, you need to be able to get another part in there as soon as possible with as little to no gunsmithing as possible. So the American Precision Museum, our industry was founded on the development of automating (laughs) the manufacturing of small arms for the U.S. government. Sure, sure. It's not we need like weaponizing automation, weaponizing robots is not the problem. Automation stemmed from making weapons.
0: So the reason uh, I, I appreciate both sides of the argument, because I hear, you know, the, the manufactured designers and it's, uh, This is not a new discussion, right? This is not this discussion occurred long time ago when long before Terminator 2 large companies
1: and Cyberdyne. It's not real. It's not coming for you.
0: Large companies making a technology and they happen to be a defense or, um, uh, you know, weaponization of this technology or use in defense or um, um, police forces. Right. Uh, And it's it's an interesting take on it because it's the the black and white discussion of it is it's a technology and they don't want that technology to be hurting people which is fine but one thing that there's two sides and i appreciate your take on Mm -hmm. it because i appreciate the uh, view from california and the uh, application in texas that in the end it comes down to the human making decision to use that technology yes and i think we're missing that in the discussion of can should we do this right and i think you know empowering decision-making and holding the decision-makers accountable is something we're, we're missing a lot. And to your point of launching a rocket and forgetting that comes down to the pilot and the human making that decision. And I think, you know, in the broader discussion of things, we are losing sight of we're, we're too we're very focused on the technology as opposed to there's still a human involved. There's still a human that says we need to do this thing. And what is the closed loop cycle for holding that human accountable or that process or right. system of humans involved in that thing? Cause it, we we did, we you know, we we are talking about humans in dangerous in extreme certs, uh, ex, uh, yeah. circumstances, right? The uh, the active shooter you mentioned in uh, Texas. And then, you know, we, we're talking about an uh, earlier example of the fire department, right? Do you want a human to go in there with a sensor with to see if there's nuclear waste or if there's toxic fumes or when, when no. you can send a dog, right? So if you extract that to, you know, the police force, how do we hold... The police force accountable for making those decisions, because, right. and I, I do I see the argument of where well, the humans outside the decision making process. That's a little scary. Yeah, but how do we move past that?
1: Right, and and it's like, and and that you kind of alluded to, not alluded. Uh, you kind of touch on the argument. Well, okay, um, maybe we need to defund the police. And it's like, no, nobody wants to defund the police right. because the people who want to defund the police are also the same people that are first to call the police. Sure, And there's nothing – there's no shame in that. Um, what 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 there is shame in is your message. Right. What you want to do is demilitarize the police right. because when what – what you're getting out of saying defunding is because police departments the, – the idea is that they think police departments are spending all of their money – on buying toys right. instead of buying training. Sure. And, and because I think, they're not the
0: military. And Their think,
1: job is to protect and serve, right. not not patrol and secure.
0: And I think we're, you know, we're stretching a little bit our conversation sure. from technology. And I, I do think there's but a... I'm, coming,
1: I'm getting back to it. I swear to God.
0: There is a cultural aspect about training and the uh, uh, eth- ethics of technologies. And we yeah. ha- we, there has been a lot of discussions on artificial intelligence and ethics also. Right. And there is a lot of you know, when you're training a model, uh, an AI model or a machine learning model, there's automatically biases built into that. And there's a right. lot of there's a huge environment of ethics and technology. And to be honest, and to your point, Steve, I think where we're seeing is uh, a shift into the conversation of ethics and technology a little bit yeah. more.
1: And w- why I'm so supportive of technology is because a police officer whose job is to protect and serve isn't the job of a soldier. Sure. To yep. patrol and secure. Right. Um, They're not trained the same way as military, although in some cases they should be. And in some cases they are like SWAT. Right. Um, But when it comes to, you know, your standard police officer that isn't necessarily trained for a combat situation. A lot of a lot of the things that the police get in trouble for is because they are acting on fear. Sure. They are uh, feared they are they are fearful of their lives, of their livelihood of dying. And if you take that equation out, which you can do that by putting the person behind a computer and a robot in the place instead, then there's no risk to a robot being damaged or destroyed other than money. You know, there's not a loss of human life. Then then the person who's controlling said robot can be more careful, can be more. And, and and that's what I think, you know, the demilitarization is the better term than than defunding. We don't want that.
0: Steve, the second to last ep- got heavy. Second to last episode for the year got really heavy at the end there. Yeah. You feel good?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> listen.
0: I don't know. I'm not. OK, we'll don't talk, listen. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I appreciate everyone.
1: What do you people think? Like, share, subscribe and comment down below.
0: Where can they find more info to yell at you about this episode? <laughs> uh,
1: write your complaints on the back of a $100 bill and send it to 7901 Jones Branch Drive, McLean, Virginia 22102. No, but seriously, and uh, for more information you can uh learn and hear more rants not quite like this at uh, amtonline.org/resources. Thanks, Eve. Bye everybody. Have fun getting off your soapbox. Don't hate me too much. <laughs>